Welcome to Harmony Talk, a podcast about dreamers and doers. We talk to people from all walks of life who share their dreams and the stories of how they realize them. This podcast is brought to you by A.M. Skyer, a third-generation family insurance agency founded in 1920. And today my guest is Mark Hoover, a longtime CEO of the Human Resources Center, a nonprofit that provides services to intellectually and physically challenged individuals. And it's pretty much built on the premise of what people can do rather than what they cannot do. It started very small in 1973, but today can be found in six counties in Northeast Pennsylvania, serving hundreds of individuals. HRC provides job training, life sharing, group living activities, opportunities, and more. In fact, it has a manufacturing arm where outside companies can hire HRC workers to do jobs such as light assembly, sealing, stuffing, packaging, and shredding. HRC even has its own shredding business, all of which sounds like they're making a little bit of money. But I know, Mark, that the Human Resources Center started out not with a whole lot of money, but with a whole lot of passion. Why don't you take us back there? Excellent introduction. I appreciate that, Lisa. Back in 1967, there was a group of uh, concerned citizens here in the Honesdale area, even though we're spread far beyond Honesdale at this point. But in 67, we had a gentleman who was a probation officer, another person who was uh, children and youth, and so on and so on. And they were concerned about what would happen to adults once they're out of school that were, you know, perhaps physically and or emotionally or cognitively challenged. And so they wanted to create here in this area, what was then called a shelter workshop, now vocational training center. And uh, they approached Allied Services in Scranton, which is a huge organization, but it wasn't huge then. This was again in 67 or thereabouts, and Allied had their hands full with their own sort of salad days, if you will. And so they said, begged off. They said, no, Honesdale's a little out of their purview, at least at that point in time. Okay, so undeterred, the same group of people, Human Resources Council, as they named themselves, applied for and got what's called an Appalachian Regional Commission grant. And that was back in the days when federal money, you know, was flowing fairly all right, fairly regularly. And so what they did, it was a one-time grant. It was about a $100,000 grant, but it was 80-20 matching, 80 from the feds, 20 from the community. And so they, in turn, incorporated the Human Resources Center in October of 1973. In 74, we started operations in an old Red Inn building outside of Honesdale. And we started with eight special individuals at that point in time. At that point, there was a director, myself. I was, for lack of a better term, a counselor. I was in my internship at the University of Scranton, actually. 40 and one and a half year internship. Right. The internship that never ended. <laughs> yeah. I broke all records. And a secretary. That was it. Okay, and we started actually packaging for Sherman Underwear Mills, an agency that goes back many, many years and is now actually kind of a resort and combination building over in Hawley, Pennsylvania. Be that as it may, we package ladies' undergarments, and that's the way we started. If I may interrupt you for just a second, you gave a speech the other day at Harmony in the Woods, our sister cohort, at a benefit concert for the Human Resources Foundation, of which you are a member now. And you mentioned the challenged individuals for which the center was started, and you talked about them as languishing at home after the school years, some of them watching TV for 15 years. So who were these first young people that you helped? Exactly that. Thank you for that. 
You took good notes <laughs> the other day. I started in January of 74 myself, early 74, as I mentioned, as an internship. And I was given all sorts of different contacts. One of the best contacts was a gentleman who has since passed on. His name is John Toby. And he was in charge of special ed for this area. And he allowed me, this is back before the days of HIPAA, to go into some of the older sorts of files. And I identified people that way. You know, I was provided addresses. I made phone calls. I asked to speak to the mom or dads at that time and told it what we were all about. And I went and visited. That was an intriguing experience all over. And I remember it was January. So sometime it was, you know, with snow drifts, I had to drive through to reach people's homes, that sort of thing. People went to uh, school until they were 18 at that point in time. Then it changed to 21. They had nothing for them. There was nothing beyond school. And that was just part of the age. And that wasn't anything to do with this area. That was pretty much nationwide. There were no real services for adults with special needs. So yes, that's where I came up with that 15-year. Some were more than that, quite frankly, Lisa, some were less. If not, helping her out around the home, that sort of stuff. But nothing, you know, no real programming, nothing to do and see. Their peers went on to college, secured jobs, things of that nature. They unfortunately stayed home. Okay, and so that's the way we kind of began to discover those people, and that was part of those eight individuals that started back and towards the end of January of 74. And how did the parents react? Parents reacted, some with skepticism, naturally. Some were absolutely thrilled because, you know, you're a parent to the day you die. And even though some of their children, in this case, some of them were 35 years old, you know, they wanted something better for their child. And so by and large, I remember one lady, she has since passed on, but she was thrilled to have something for her son because she loved her son. And so we started again, as I mentioned, with simple packaging sorts of opportunities, and we ended up growing a little bit and we went from there. Now, we fell upon hard times, as I mentioned in my speech, and uh, it was a one year, actually a 15 month sort of start, and then we didn't have any more money. And so we were able to secure some funding. Now that you've mentioned the running out of money, you did mention again in the speech at Harmony in the Woods about wondering if you could make payroll and running out to the mailbox. So I'm going to ask you, what kept you from simply saying, the heck with this, I'm going to go get a steady income job? Well, (laughs) that's exactly what happened. I was freshly married. We didn't, you know, my wife and I didn't have two nickels to rub together back in those days. But somehow... It became more than an internship. Quite frankly, I've said this before, I fell in love. I fell in love with the concept. I fell in love with the mission, uh, with the people, most importantly, in the families that I met. And I was my honor to this day to have made all sorts of different friendships over these many years. And it was just something inside me that said, stick it out, stick it out. And so we stuck it out. I had offers. I had other offers. Yes, a number over the years, but no. Nope, I wanted to stick it out. What we happened was, it's called the MHMR, Mental Health Mental Retardation Act of 1966. And that was the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania's way of trying to support these individuals. Nomenclature's changed over the years. The concept is basically the same. They broke up the Commonwealth into about 43 different what they called joinders. In our case, it was Lackawanna, Susquehanna, Wayne Joinder. And it was based out of Scranton. And we were able to secure funding, ongoing funding through that arm. And Lisa, we did make money 
Not a lot, not a lot, but we did make money with some of the jobs that we performed over the years. And then we grew slowly, slowly over time throughout the 70s. But again, it was difficult. And during that period of time, a gentleman who was in charge of the board of directors, his name was George Schreiber. And he was a real character, and he had retired from the Long Island area up into this area to a family compound in Newfoundland, Pennsylvania. He was an incredible man, and he taught me a lot. He was used to having $250,000 a month electric bills for Grumman aircraft, which was completely foreign to me. But anyhow, he said, as a matter of forget about the zeros, Mark, I had a hard time doing that. And then he, he was tough. And he would conduct board meetings that would last two, three hours, challenging every single expenditure we made. We had to, because we were right on the cliff, Lisa. And many times over those, in those formative years, that we were flirting with disaster, with bankruptcy. But we made it. You did make it. And I know George was influential, but so was his wife. I think you described her at one point in time as Barbara Bush. Yep, that's exactly the case. If anyone's familiar with Barbara Bush, you know, she was a lady not to be denied. And uh, Jean Schreiber, his wife, heard these conversations. And then certainly when none of us were around, I'm sure George shared his concern because on top of everything else, they had a huge vested interest in our agency because their son was receiving and to this day received services through the agency. And so she heard these stories about being on the edge constantly. And so Jean had, she was from BOCES. She was a nurse that worked for special ed in New York State. And uh, so she's not unfamiliar with the whole system and setup. And New York State at that point in time was a little better off than we were here in Pennsylvania. So anyhow, she got it in her head that we needed a foundation. And the foundation to support, first and foremost, the Human Resources Center, which is still its mission here today. But then outside of the Human Resource Center, support individual families, other agencies, things of that nature. At that point in time, we were lucky to balance our checkbook. Okay, so anyhow, time did go on, and she was a force of nature. As I mentioned, she'd come and she'd visit and, you know, check out things with her son and that sort of stuff. And every time I saw her, or sometimes when I didn't see her, email or phones, she said, Mark, where is that foundation? And I was buried here at work. We were growing and growing and growing to what we are now. So I guess I just made up excuses or I just simply too busy and I didn't do it. Time passed on, and they moved to Saratoga Springs, New York State, and for their final years, and George passed. Jean stuck around. She was there for several more years, and then it became her time. And she, again, being a Barbara Bush sort of matter-of-fact individual, she knew that, and so she had her daughter call me on a Wednesday. And the daughter said, Mark, Mom's on the phone. She wants to talk to you. I knew what was going on. I knew this was, it was her time. And I also knew I was in for it, and I was. <laughs> and she was basically 48 hours away from meeting her maker, and she was lecturing me on doing the foundation, creating one. And she made me promise, Mark, create a foundation. Toughest phone call of my life, probably. Other phone calls, you say goodbye to people, I'll talk to you later. This was it. I knew that. And we developed a close friendship. You know, I did with her and her husband. I was almost a surrogate son. Anyhow... That was the end of it. I promised her on her deathbed. Two days later, she passed. Okay, now what? Foundation. I have to do it. Well, you kept your promise. That's a good thing. But I want to backtrack for just a second here. Jean and George Schreiber were very influential, it sounds like, in the Human Resources Center involvement and in your own life. Extremely involved. 
I know they had a Down syndrome son, and she did not want him to be institutionalized, nor other children like him to be institutionalized, which was one reason I think she wanted you to form the foundation. But tell me something. What other kinds of obstacles, if any, did you face along the way besides funding? I mean, the community, did they receive this? Yes. It was common attitudes throughout this country. You know, when we've had women's suffrage challenges that ladies and females have faced in this country over the years, people of uh, African-American descent, Hispanic, and so on and so on. Perhaps some of the most discriminated people in our country are those with disabilities, I'm sad to say. However, I'm very, very happy to say that over my career, I've witnessed a tremendous change. We had instances where we were in town and individuals would cross the street to avoid us. This is 40 years ago now. We said, not now. And over the years, I've seen a, an enormous improvement. Again, we weren't used to that because they would be in, in institutions, which were ultimately horrible. It was almost like a life sentence. You know, okay, I'm, you know, I'm mentally uh, challenged, cognitively challenged, and so I'm going to go in an institution and spend a life sentence almost. That changed dramatically. Pennsylvania, by the way, was one of the leaders over the years where we closed the institutions, had people in the community. And then also, in Gene's case, among many others, their son lived in as part of the nuclear family. But then when it was time, 18 or thereabouts, to move on like their other children, he did. And he ended up coming here and, and working in what was then a shelter workshop. And he's now currently in uh, what we call a community home and with some other friends. And we have staff that provide supports the whole idea is to be part of the community. And that was a philosophy that was embraced by us. And then also, quite frankly, the Commonwealth. Commonwealth, again, is one of the leaders. Could you touch just for a second on that? I know that your uh, philosophy at the center has been inclusion, which is different from integration. And I don't know if you can elaborate on that, because I don't know if many people understand quite what that means, that concept. Well, inclusion is our foundation. I'm going to fast forward for you just for a moment, but we have now the foundation has a beautiful building, thanks to our four banks and Skyer Insurance down on 1006th Street in Church Street in Honesdale, right in the middle of the community. We have various programs there, day programs we call them, as well as placement programs, and people, the whole purpose behind that in the grant that I wrote that also supplemented the support we got from the banks and uh, Mr. Skyer was one of inclusion, where people would be part of the community. And it wasn't a big deal now in these last years for individuals with special needs to be in Walmart, you know, and be in Home Depot, be in the community, be, uh, matter of fact, they have significant presence, Courthouse Square in Honesdale. And you drive through and it's not unusual in the good weather months for you see individuals walking around and being part of the community. And in integration, too. More and more now we're seeing that. I'm going to revert back to our uh, work programs. And what we did is we did all sorts of work for like an automobile parts manufacturer throughout the 90s and into the uh, aughts, if you will. And what we did is we had individuals with no apparent disability work side by side with our individuals. And so there was inclusion and on the flip side, integration. And so we had integrated workforce, if you will here and in our program in uh, Pike County as well. And we got to the point where in the 08s, thereabouts, before the uh, terrible recession, where we had probably 25, 30% of our workforce were individuals with no actual or visible 
disability working side by side. And so that was wonderful, kind of a reverse integration, if you will. And then talking about work programs, we've had since 1980 started placing individuals and jobs in the community. Now, it could be a job where you, perhaps you and I could learn the job within a whatever job it happened to be within a few days. Individuals that are cognitively challenged perhaps would take them longer. So we have something called job coaches. And those job coaches would be with the individual. And they would work with him or her, John Doe, let's say, for a period of time. And then over time, as the individual learned the job, slowly withdraw to the point where the individual would be completely independent and on his own. One of the phrases I always used to like to say is the people that were dependent on taxes, the people that paid taxes. And one of the uh, old sayings, I had it on my door and in my office for many, many years, you can feed a man a fish and feed him for a day, teach a man or woman how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. That was uh, the whole mission. Absolutely. I mean, the center has done extremely well, and of course, a lot of it under your tutelage. In fact, the services they provide right now to outside companies, even within their manufacturing arm, sound like they're very well respected and needed. Let's just listen for a second to two quick interviews with a woman from a printing company and a man from a tool and die company talking about how they use the Human Resources Center to fulfill their product orders. Well, HRC makes it easier to stick to our deadlines. Um, when we have a lot of work in the shop and we have that work that takes longer because it has to have a hands-on feel where somebody's physically stuffing envelopes or physically assembling folders and we can send it to them. While they're doing that, we're still producing other work in the shop and it's not holding production up. They do some assembly work for me that I can't normally do here for the cost. It's cost prohibitive to do it here. So they do a light assembly, which is installing some O-rings on a part I make and then they package it for me. Uh, the packaging in the future is gonna get a little bit more involved, so I'm hoping they can help me out with that. It's clear that the Human Resources Center has come a long, long way, but you obviously, Gene obviously believed that you needed a foundation. Yes, and at that point in time, we needed the foundation for a rainy day because we're, you know, we were quite frankly scarred by those days when we were week to week sort of thing, not anymore but you never know what the future will hold. And so the foundation is there to help the Human Resources Center. Right now, the Human Resources Center is okay, doing fine financially for now. And so we're looking to support other programs within the agency, one of which is something coming up, uh, and you may have heard me mention this, an aging in place program that we're going to explore. Because remember, the whole idea is to keep the nuclear family together. Sometimes... That happens, but then, you know, blink your eyes and little Johnny, who is two years old and weighs 25 pounds, is now 30 years old and weighs 230. And mom and dad are now, instead of, you know, they're in their prime, now they're perhaps in their late 70s or 80s. So we're trying to establish a program where we can still support the nuclear family in every which way we possibly can. And what of it is an aging in place program. Now, having said that, we're also supporting other agencies of similar ilk. Throughout this period, we've uh, supported the United Several Palsy, Dieberry Day Camp, which has been a long, long time friend, organizations such as that. And we hope to do that in the future. And quite frankly, we're going to be looking to uh, support individuals. And before we uh, end, I wanted to just provide the gentleman's name and number for people to contact. 
Mark, you've been honored with many awards in your lifetime, including a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Pennsylvania Advocacy and Resources Group for Autism and Intellectual Disability, or PAR. And you're retired, supposedly. I know you don't have a challenged child in your family, but you've continued to work for the challenged, even past your retirement. So why do you continue to do that? What drives you? Uh, I think in the beginning when we were chatting and when I had other opportunities in my life when I was like 22 years old, I told you I kind of fell in love with the whole idea and the mission. And that love is, continues to and will continue until the end of my time. I love it. You know, Lisa, I just absolutely love it. And again, I've been honored with some incredible friendships and relationships over the years. You know, staff, of course, we have wonderful staff people, but then the special individuals that I've made friends with over the years, you can't replace it. And I think that's really where I was going with that. I know you were friends with the Shrivers, and I'm sure you've made, are there any particular stories maybe young people that you helped along the way or that the center helped along the way, maybe the foundation in the future. You could just give us a little story that you perhaps recall. Oh, there's a... A million. <laughs> there's a million stories. Uh, <laughs> but we've had an uh, individual, his nickname was Trucker, and I won't say his actual name. But anyhow, he was one of the, he was from the Carbondale area, and he um, hadn't worked for many, many years, and but he was extremely capable, and nobody realized that. He worked with us for a long time. We had uh, a lot of jobs. One was actually out in Long Island, a packaging job we did for a company for anyone in untold years. And he rode the truck. He didn't drive it, but he did ride in the truck all the time and help unload and load and got to be friends with everybody in the warehouse there in Long Island. His nickname was Trucker, as I mentioned. And they say, hey, Trucker, he's usually on Wednesday. Trucker, how you doing today? And he'd be talking to him and stuff. And he, he was very, very proud of that. He continued, and he ended up making a decent dollar with us. Any one of a number of people we just hired competitively as well over there. Trucker happened to be one of them. Unfortunately, his time came way too soon. But he was one of many, many sorts of people and stories that I'm very, very proud of. It's just purely illustrative. There have been many, many more stories. Even here today in the building where I'm in right now, our main building, there's any one of a number of individuals working on work for defense contractors, various other contractors, Arlington Industries. They do all sorts of work for the electrical supply business and so on and so on. I have a cute story, if you indulge me just for a moment. A number of years ago, we had a spray booth. And it was, you know, all everything was legal and fine. We painted, did a lot of painting. And one of the jobs was we painted something called an LB. What that is, is it's just kind of an elbow of various configurations for three-inch conduit, heavy-duty commercial conduit. It wasn't our fault, but they were behind. And so we spray-painted a bunch of these trucker, the gentleman I just mentioned, uh, among many others, painted these things in our spray booth. It went from our truck, our facility here in Indian Orchard, straight to New York City Harbor, got on a ship, a freighter, and went to, directly to Seoul, South Korea, because they were behind and was put in the Olympic Stadium in Seoul, South Korea. And so they were waiting for us here in Little Wayne County at the time. They were way behind schedule. And, you know, so the ship was, come on, let's get going. And we ran right to the ship. So it's a cute story, kind of one I'm proud of. Definitely a connection to the Olympics. Let's look at the crystal ball. What's in the future for Mark Hoover and for the foundation? Well, for myself, of course, I'm retired and my wife and I are snowbirds now. 
but I still keep my hand in. Uh, we have the foundation, and this is what I should talk about. We just recently hired Dan Card, again, a name that's familiar to many people in the area, and he's uh, the executive director of the foundation now, and he's the contact person going forward. But what I see as far as for us to continue to grow to have inclusion, to have integration, and to support various community programs. First and foremost, the Human Resources Center when it needs it, and then community out in the general area. We have Rails the Trails sorts of program, waterways, and we're going to help with accessibility there and on and on and on. We have a lot of different plans. 1967, those individuals that were part of the Human Resources Council have passed. They're gone. We have people such as myself that have been around for a long, long time. But matter of fact, all our senior staff have been here for many years. And we have our children, in many cases, working for the Human Resources Center or related things. So now we're in our third generation. What I hope is this is going to go on for another three generations, if not longer. You know, it's a wonderful idea. It's a great mission. It's being embraced more and more by society in general. And the future is very, very bright. Well, thank you, Mark, so much for being with us. And the future does look bright, and it's a great organization, and you contributed to it. You did want to say something, I believe. Yes. Again, I mentioned Mr. Card, Daniel Card, and his office is on 1006 Church Street in Honesdale. I just wanted to share his uh, name and, of course, his phone number. His cell is 570-647-5381, and he's at daniel.card at org. He's a real go-getter. He's new to our organization. And he was the one who actually coordinated everything for the concert the other day. Unfortunately, he had a wedding to attend. How dare he? But he'd be wonderful. I would recommend anybody please call him. He can arrange a tour. Tours used to be anytime for anybody, not now because of COVID. But he can schedule things. You know, I invite anybody to contact Mr. Card to visit any one of our facilities. First and foremost, probably the home in Church Street. All right. Thank you very much, Mark, for being with us. Great story. I do wish you the best of luck in the future as well, whether you're down south or up here. Thank you, Lisa. This podcast has been brought to you by A.M. Skyer, a third-generation family insurance business started in 1920. Thank you again. Talk to you next time.